Welcome to the Weather Insights Podcast. This is number two. Boy, we're making some good headway pretty quick. <laughs> Recording on uh, Friday, August 18th, 2023. Have meteorologist Jeff Lindner and our special guest, probably regular guest, I hope anyway. We'll see how it goes. He may, he may change his mind. <laughs> meteorologist, but the National Weather Service meteorologist. Or vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> No, I doubt that. <clears throat> Jeff Evans, welcome. And uh, of course, I'm one of your co-hosts, I guess, for now, as long as y'all have me, Scott Pitney. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how's everybody doing this morning? Uh, another chilly day, sweater-like weather out there? Yeah. Hey, I went to Hobby Lobby and it's definitely fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they probably had that fall stuff out since June or so, right? Halloween, yeah. they get the Halloween stuff out. Hey, Try to get you in the mindset at least. Christmas, so, but, probably got Christmas already. It's wishful thinking, guys. Wishful thinking. Yeah. yeah. Another another scorcher. We'll get there. We're, what is this, August? Yeah. Maybe, uh, well, we actually had a front, you know, uh, dew point changing front, but that was about it. That was yeah. nice. It was something, a hint, yeah, a we, north wind. We need a little bit more cold behind that cold front next time, so... So, so, so Evans, did, did y'all call it a, a cold front or a front? Cause I, I heard um, there was some debate about this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. <laughs> okay. So by, by, by synoptic standards, you could have called it a cold front. I think in other parts, maybe up in the long red river, they get a little bit of cool, relatively cooler air behind it. But for us, yeah, it was, it just washed out some of the 80 dew points for 70 dew points for a day. And now the 80 dew points come back. So, yeah, I think central North Texas, they had some, I heard some temperature drops around 10 degrees or so. So, you know, they're, they're well, even I think Conroe on uh, the morning after was like 65. So, I mean, for some areas, they got it, got a relief at least for one night. Yeah. Uh, down here on the coast and Gallison County, we, we didn't get much of a relief, but yeah. Well, it is August. It's mid-August, mid to late now. So yeah. you're looking at another uh, four to five weeks climatologically. So, yeah. Hey, but at least we've kind of passed our peak. I mean, typically the first week of August is yeah. is the climatological, hard word to say, climatological hottest part of the summer. And, and we've kind of peaked over that. I think our average high has peaked. And so we're on that downward right. trend. For, for Southeast Texas. For Southeast least, Texas, yes. yes. So, yeah. But don't tell 2000, that, no, it's September 4, 2000 that. Well, well. There are outliers. Yeah, always. Things, things, <laughs> always. things happen. That's oh. why we don't use absolutes in weather. It will. Right. Absolutely, yeah. We might, it, yeah. Fuzzy words. <laughs> <laughs> words of, of uh, unclarity, is that a word? <laughs> yeah, that's why the, uh, the term normal uh, for climate always drives me crazy because it's, People perceive normal as what it should be, and really, normal is a, is a mathematical creation between two extremes. So, yeah. So, what's the appropriate word? Average, mean, yeah, average. Uh, I mean, I mean, statistically, normal is a is a is a, an effective term, but people perceive normal in a different way. When they hear the word normal, they think that's what it should be. But the reality of it is it could be there's a standard deviation on either side of that normal uh, that happens a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, where do you want to start, guys? 
fire fire weather yeah um, we can yeah let me uh get the old screen share going if i if i can if i remember how to do this oh well be helpful to get on the page first there we go all right so we're going to talk about uh we still have burn bans and uh about 70 percent of the state of texas right now under a burn ban there it is how many counties in there? Looks like we've got 198 out of 254. Um, and a lot of that, obviously, there is central, east, southeast. Not, not as much up in the panhandle. Um, but, you know, fire and, and fire weather has, is, is paramount right now for us. I mean, we're not, we're not 2011 fire weather, but we're not far from it. Um, and, you know, the thing that's, that's really helped us thus far is we just haven't had a lot of wind. We typically don't have a lot of wind in the summer. But boy, you know, if we don't if we don't get some rain in here before we start getting bigger fronts with with low humidity and wind and or some sort of tropical system that passes east of us and produces wind, um, we're going to be in trouble because that's that's probably the only thing keeping us from having a big fire. And it's interesting. We've had we've had about 600 fires in the state, burned about 78,000 acres in the whole scheme of things. It sounds like a lot. 2011, we had 32, almost 33,000 fires that burned 3.9 million acres. So that's that's com a comparison. Of course, this is years half over. Um, <clears throat> that's incredible. But yeah, that's yeah I mean, difference. big. it's a big difference. And, and, the, and the difference between 11 and this year so far is the fires generally what we've had, we've had a lot, but they've been relatively small. You know, you're talking less than 100 acres, more in that five to, to 50 acre uh, type situation. Um, not that it matters because you could have a, a an acre fire and, and right up against homes and it'd be damaging. So size doesn't always matter when it comes to fires. Well, and, and that's largely because, as you said, we haven't had the wind. So they've been able to contain and they'll get on these pretty quickly. So the state's in, in forward leading response mode. If something's burning, they're on it. And without the wind, they've been able to contain these you add the wind and then some of you know 10 to 50 acre fires just run uh and and then then we're going to have have problems and that that's what jeff was saying earlier that's that's our biggest worry is you know we get in a situation with some wind behind a front or on the backside of a, of a tropical system that misses us to the east um you know and that's what we dealt with with, with uh, in maui to some degree they had those hurricane fringe hurricane winds down sloping and, and what what got going just ran on them. There's no way it's not not containable those kind of winds. Yeah, and the high north just created that gradient yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so in case people don't know, Jeff Evans uh, used to be with Storm Prediction Center, and uh, a lot of the responsibility there was fire. I mean, everybody thinks of SPC as severe weather and that kind of stuff, which is of course the the biggest I would assume. But how much of of uh, uh, fire played into what y'all did, Jeff. Was it twenty percent of the response? Um, would you say? I hadn't really thought about it as as a percentage goes, but somewhere in that range. I mean, we had we dedicated SPC dedicates uh, a person to the fire forecast, um, and I think they have two people a day now on, on different shifts. So it's uh, and that that includes coordination and, and and drawing up the outlooks and and working with the state agencies. The focus from a national center was more on the meteorological side uh, and then just assessment of fuels. So that, you know, the real decisions on red flags and stuff would still go to the local offices. 
who are more in touch with the local officials on what the actual fuels look like. Uh, but it is a, it is an element in, of SPC that most people don't think about. Yeah. And speaking of local, so Fire Weather Watch, we got that uh, here locally uh, after right. that front came through. Humidity, you know, dew points in the low 50s, humidities in the teen, upper teens. Um, and what, what what is our local criteria for a Fire Weather Watch? That's something we don't see very often. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't have it memorized. I'd have to look at it. It's it has to do with relatively low humidity, mm. uh, high ambient temperatures, and wind. Mm. Uh, we technically didn't, you know, meet our criteria strictly mm. uh, on the wind side, uh, but given the other aspects and other problems, uh, we you know we went ahead and put that watch out because we, there was a pretty decent fire up in Trinity County that was, uh, you know right ahead of that or associated with the front. So, uh, you know, the, the conditions are still right for wildfires. Um, but, uh, you know, for that, for that situation, it would, conditions are bad enough. We're, we're not going to tie ourselves to just the strict wind criteria. Uh, you know, we, we want to be a little bit forward leaning. Uh, and we worked with the state on that. The state, they, uh, they, you know, they changed some of the red flag criteria in central Texas here in the last month, based on what they're seeing, uh, working with the National Weather Service in the state. So we're also involved in those converse, conversations as well as uh, just trying to make sure we're being proactive and not, you know, real strict on on some of these criteria. Make sure these uh, warnings and advisories and watches are are uh, as useful as they can be. Yeah, and you know, one of the important things right now is just be careful. Be careful out there with anything that can accidentally start a fire i mean it can be as little as a as a spark from a lawnmower blade striking a rock you drag in a boat and, and there's a chain down the road um you know just all of this stuff you're act you're barbecuing and in a gust of wind comes and blows some of the coals out make sure you keep the lid on that type of stuff so you don't accidentally start something because boy if it gets if it gets going um with how dry the vegetation is it can really go yeah, and, and for those that in rural areas, if if you have a brush piles and stuff, just wait. Uh, don't 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 burn those now. Just put them aside. Uh, wait for some rain, and then go out there and get rid of that. You know, I know a lot of folks like to clear stuff out and get it burned, but it's just that that's why those burn bans are in place. That's right. Uh, because it, uh, you know it it may be unintentional, but it doesn't mean it it couldn't cause a catastrophe, and and it's going to come back on somebody if you're the homeowner. Yeah. Well, let's uh, shift gears a, get a bit and go into uh, drought. So a um, lot, lot of comparisons being made on this year versus 2011. I thought this graphic from U.S. Drought um, Monitor kind of speaks to that. You can see the, the colors here for 2011 far exceed where we're at right now. But... Um, you know, don't tell that to somebody whose grass is dying. Yeah, well, I mean, 2011 really is in a league of its own. And before that, the 1950s, the multi-year drought in the 1950s. But, you know, 2011 was very dry from the fall of 2010 through our spring. We had one of the driest springs ever on record. You know, this year we actually did have some decent rainfall, above average rainfall in, in April and May. And that that's what's really helped, especially when it comes to water supply. You know, at this point in 2011, around this time, uh, our water supply uh, situation was getting more critical. 
Um, and, and we're certainly not anywhere near that right now. Um, you know, I know a lot of places have enacted water conservation, voluntary, and in some cases mandatory. This is more a function of the demand that's being placed on their systems. And so everybody's out trying to water and do everything. And it's when you, the more demand you have, it lowers that pressure on the system. And so you got to be careful with that. Uh, very similar to what we went through in the winter storm back in, in 21, where you have all these breaks in the pipes it lowers the pressure and you got to be careful with the pressure getting too low in the system. And so, you know, for, for the most part, we have plenty of water, but we have to be careful that we're not taxing our systems too much that, that we can't continue to bring the water to everybody. And so, you know, if you're under a voluntary, you know, a lot of people see the signs and they kind of blow it mm. off. Oh yeah. Oh, it's voluntary. It's not that big of a deal, but, you know, please try to abide by that stuff as much as possible so you don't end up in a mandatory situation um, and, and really strict, stricter water conservation measures. Um, so, you know, as much as you can, try to try to follow those recommendations. Every little bit helps. Yeah, you want to keep you want to keep your plants alive, but you have to realize we're in a pretty significant drought. So having a lush green lawn. Um, you know, you may not be wise to put that much water on it every day uh, in, this, in this situation. It's, you know, you obviously you want to keep it alive, but uh, it's, it's not going to be ideal for a bit in a better homes and garden photos uh, for yards right now. Yeah. I wonder if Bermuda is a better choice for this area. Because every time we have a drought, all the San Augustine drought dies. Yeah, I, I grew up in Oklahoma with Bermuda, so it's different kind of grass but it's it's almost impossible to kill <laughs> yeah i mean it gets very brown in the winter time but you know who cares yes it does and i think that's the downside why people wouldn't like it down here because it would get it, it you have a couple of dormant seasons it's brown in the winter and it's brown this time of summer yeah but a little less maintenance as far as the water goes so no doubt. <clears throat> speaking of some relief at least for here in texas maybe We'll have some next week. Got a lot of color out there in the Atlantic all of a sudden. Um, go with the one furthest east, I guess. 48 hours, 60% now. Uh, National Hurricane Center giving this little, little uh, system here. And then the one just next to it, 40% chance in 48 hours. These look to be, you know, kind of um, favoring the Northwest movement. This one here you know 10 percent, 30 percent in seven days 10 percent in 48 hours um at least as far as this comes suggest a possible a little bit more westerly movement than than the others so i guess it's getting uh out ahead of that ridge a little bit possibly to to help that turn and i yeah, haven't since i haven't checked uh, the shear in this in a while have you guys yeah it's it look it, to me right now. It looks like a typical El Nino tropical kind of situation. There are systems out there. Those you know, ones in the deep in the Atlantic, uh, they're going to get into some shear. They're, they're not going to amount to much. Even the uh, her NHC on that area that's red just says you know basically a tropical depression and maybe that's it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's all we're looking at right now, or may, maybe a couple of tropical depressions, perhaps a name storm, but probably on the low end and probably won't last too long. So it's Still a little bit hostile with the shear and the dry air in some parts. And then even uh, in the Gulf, it's going to be an, an issue we'll have to watch with uh, a little bit of increase in winds, winds above the system, a little bit of dry air as it gets closer to land. 
So, of course, the uh, big focus for us here now, NHC bumped it from 20% uh, yesterday to 30% over the next seven days. I'm not surprised by that. Are you guys surprised by that? Not, not really. I wouldn't call it a bump, maybe a nudge, <laughs> 20 to 30. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we get a, a TD out of that near the coast um, as it gets, gets near, I, I just, it's going to have some other things working against it. Um, yeah, as we, as we all know, the water temperatures uh, on, on the extreme edge. So it's not going to have problems with fuel. It's just going to be other, other things. Yeah. There's playing no, at it. very little shear um, water temperature is high. And then, uh, but it's moving pretty quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So that's not going to give it much of a chance to develop. And we got to, to develop and uh, we've got a front right here, I believe it's a stationary front right here. Across northern mm -hmm. Florida, and then of course the the high pressure up here, big determination. I haven't seen uh, much change in the models on on that high, uh, as far as its influence in steering this one. Yeah, I think the the trend is not our friend uh, right now. Yeah. It, it it if you look at the European was sort of the hopeful outlier, if you will, for us that looked like it was going to bring us more rain, and it's trending south and in, in in more agreement with some of the other guidance, and so I I, I think. You know, south of I-10, you might have a shot um, early, mid next week. But man, I don't know. North of I-10, it's looking pretty iffy at this point. So, yeah. you know, fingers crossed, at least, you know, maybe with just some moisture coming in, uh, we can we can get the sea breeze um, maybe to, to help get stuff going. But uh, yeah, it looked a lot better two or three days ago, unfortunately for mm -hmm. us. Yeah. Yeah. Best uh, case scenario I could find was on KPF. Tuesday, um, you know, maybe a quarter to a half inch, but of course it's hugging the coast mostly. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think you guys got 50% right now, Jeff, for Tuesday right. and 20 right. on Monday. And, but here's my question. Um, looking past the week or, or at the end of the week and past that high pressure kind of moves off out of the way. So is that going to loosen up the atmosphere to give us our kind of normal, 20% uh, type convective pop-ups yeah, in mean, the afternoon. The GFS has kind of been hinting at that, you know, the last week in August kind of getting back into maybe, maybe chances of rain uh, each day. So we're, we're hopeful. Take what we can get, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if there's any good news with this area is down further South, South Texas, the coastal bend, maybe out in Southwest yeah. Texas, um that, that you know they they could get some decent decent rain down there from this and so you know good for them i know it's kind of a weird time of year for farmers down there they're just now picking getting into picking the cotton and they don't like a lot of rain this time of year believe it or not um but you know they're they're just in in the same type of desperate need back in those areas as as we are up here and so it looks more favorable down in the South Texas coastal bend, Southwest Texas to get some, some, some rain out of this. And actually this, if you look at the, the further out in time, this kind of makes its way up and toward New Mexico, kind of rounding the big high over the Midwest. And then in some of the moisture is probably going to end up in New Mexico, maybe even the panhandle. Um, so, you know, if you, if you want rain from a monsoon season, that's been non-existent out in New Mexico, this, this, it may come from this this year. Yeah, and for so for my office, our office, we you know we extend down a ways. So you know Jackson County, Matagorda County, and then up into the 
it, maybe even to Gallatin County, we might still get some some rain out of this. Uh, the farther north and east, you know, the least chance of, of getting anything substantial. But heck, a quarter, I think most people wouldn't complain about a quarter inch. Um, but unfortunately, as you all said, it's mostly going to be coastal areas and then farther southwest. That's just the trends. Um, hopefully those trends don't continue and it keeps getting farther and farther southwest. Uh, but that's a possibility as well. So we'll have to see. If this system does get organized, it could get a little bit more compact, too. If it's yeah. really disorganized, you could have just a broad area of moisture and cover a larger area. Uh, so that, yeah. that still has to play out as well. Yeah, and that's that's what's in the NHC discussions as of this morning. They're just calling it a trough. They're not even talking about circulation. Even though there's a 30% chance of development, they're, they're, right. their language right now is more troughiness than uh, circulation. That's uh, what I read. But so. we've... We've we have some recent history with systems that get right near the coast and suddenly form a center. We saw that with Amelda yeah. in 2019. Yeah. We saw that with we saw that with Bill uh, in 2015. Uh, these were kind of low percentage areas that that suddenly just kind of and even like Amelda was an exposed center. Um, it wasn't much convection around it as we call it showers and thunderstorms. It was, but you could see the swirl and, and the clouds. So we could end up in a situation like that, and it could get a, a quick name uh, right at landfall. But it uh, doesn't look like you know a big wind surge type of thing at all. It's, it, we're just looking at mostly beneficial rain. We just had to kind of keep an eye on it. Yeah, and that's what I would recommend everybody just check daily. You know, you should anytime this. In hurricane season, just check once a day on the on the forecast to make sure nothing's nothing snuck up or changed on us. Yeah, from now to the beginning of October, it's uh, prime time for us. So. Well, speaking of a storm that does have a name, uh, man, this thing um, ramped up pretty quick. Miss Hillary, um, you know, Category Four, and uh, I think yesterday they were expecting it to be at least a Cat Two, but it, it just skipped right to cat four um but this is definitely an, an anomaly for southern california i think they've only had two named storms yeah it's it's not many i don't know looking back um i think maybe something in 1939 and maybe 1976 or something along those lines um but yeah it, it looks like it at least has a potential to make landfall as a named storm Regardless, name storm, not name storm. If it makes landfall in northern Baja or whatever, the impact's going to be pretty much the same up through Southern California and then on up into the western United States and, and really the, the inland desert areas with some significant rainfall. And it doesn't take a lot out in no. that area of the U.S. You get two or three inches of rain and that's flash flood big time. Yeah. And we're looking at two or three times that amount potentially um, up in those inland deserts. And so... It's a really serious situation. Uh, I know WPC has put out a, a high risk. That's the highest threat level for flash flooding that they have. And when you start to see those, that's, that's you know, this is a potentially life-threatening big deal. This isn't a common thing. Um, it's, and it's especially uncommon out there. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's for those, uh, anyone going to Vegas next week, uh, you know, you got to really be watching this because, uh, you know, Vegas can get flash flooding. Um, significant flash flooding. We've seen it in the past with these type of systems coming out of the eastern Pacific and then the moisture plume coming up in there. And as Jeff said, I mean, a half inch of rain in a, in a short period of time can cause flooding problems in the deserts. They just don't have the soil to soak it up. It's uh, And then you put it over cities. 
a lot of concrete there. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a, it's a definite concern. Um, we'll, we'll see what's left of it as it gets out of California. Um, but even a tropical storm into California is it's a big deal. Um, it's so rare. Yeah. But I mean, looks looks like the Baja is going to take the brunt of this, regardless. Um, but though there will be some impacts into the Southwest U.S. for sure. Yeah, I know they're grabbing their surfboards probably right now in Cabo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you got to be careful. And and also the mountainous areas too. You know, probably people that have lived in their mountain homes, they have a pretty good idea of what areas flood and that kind of stuff. Um, but they may not have experienced the kind of rainfall well, that they're about to see. And that's that's a concern, right? I mean, so yeah. we've dealt with that for us where, uh, you know, people live here my whole life. I've never seen this. So that therefore mm -hmm. this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, I I survived this storm. So and I didn't flood. So that means I can't flood or I'm, you know, so that is a concern. And that people need to really look at the particular impacts of this storm and not worry so much about what's happened in the past, uh, listen to your local officials, listen to the forecasts, uh, and, and, and take, take it seriously. Cause this is, this is a very rare situation. Uh, like I said, we, we've seen it around our area uh, a lot here in the last eight years between rain and, and Arctic. And, you know, we, we have things that just don't happen here. Uh, yeah, they, they can't happen and tornadoes, you know, so. What's the appropriate action? Say I, I have a home up in the mountains and I'm not really familiar. I just moved here. I'm not really familiar. I'm hearing all this stuff about flash flooding and everything. Do I evacuate? Do I hunker down? I, I think it depends on the situation. If, if yeah. you're in a, if you're along a, a river bed or a valley or, or a creek or stream, uh, be, you know, between two steep peaks, uh, you're in a canyon. Uh, yeah, you, you, you just keep an eye on the forecast. You may want to have uh, plans and you may, may need to have uh, kind of deadlines to make that decision. You don't want to wait to the last minute when it's heavy rain in the canyon, then decide to go. Uh, but uh, yeah, that if, if for people that have those kind of homes in those situations, um, you definitely want to want to be paying attention um, because you, like I said, you just because you haven't seen this doesn't mean that your canyon might not be the one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, mountains are one thing it's it's the valleys and the and the deserts the inland deserts that you get these dry creek beds that can become torrents of water and they carry a lot of stuff with them out there rocks boulders trees all kinds of stuff um but the other thing you have to deal with out there is burn when you burn scars where you've had fire in the past there's no vegetation to, to hold that soil and so you can get these debris flows down on the steep terrain and it's really important to listen to your emergency management officials, your fire departments and all that, because they know exactly who sits where with respect to the potential for for problems. And so listen to the advice from your local officials. Um, of course, we say that everywhere all the time, but um, it's really important out there because they have that knowledge of this area burned two or three years ago and it's going to be susceptible to to if it rains a lot to, to mud flow and debris flows. Yeah, and if you're uh, if you've been in an area for a while and you're driving down the road and it's a dry creek bed, but you see a flood gauge, that's a pretty good sign that uh, you're in a flood prone area. Um, so the other big news, very unfortunate news, is the Maui fires, and um, there's been you know we touched on a little bit earlier to the. Um, 
how the weather related to spreading this fire. And, you know, there's been a lot of social media discussion about Hurricane Dora being the low pressure south of it and then a high pressure system north and why islands were kind of in that gradient. But um, it, probably what's not been talked about is some, but not a lot, are the downsloping winds. And that's kind of what this uh, graph illustrates here. That's, that is where the strongest winds came from this to, to support the spread, right? Yeah. I mean, you typically have a, a trade wind in the Hawaiian Islands. So you have a, when we, when we mean by trade wind, it's a, a wind that blows from east to west um, in that area. And this is kind of a year round thing. We have the same thing in the Atlantic and the Caribbean. And, you know, so you get a good 15, 20 mile an hour wind on a, on a normal day. And then when you put a big high to the north, like we had in this situation, that accelerates or increases those easterly trade winds. And then you add topography into it, the mountains, Hawaii's got some mountains, and that wind coming over the top and then down the opposite side, the west side of the mountains helps to accelerate. We call that downsloping. It helps to accelerate those winds and increase them. And so um, you know, I think the Big Island, which isn't where this happened, but the Big Island, um, Hilo, I think they had a wind gust recorded of 82 miles per hour on that west side of the island. Um, and certainly, if you look at some of the pictures here from some from what you saw on Maui, uh, they were easily getting 60, 60 plus mile an hour winds or at least gust and everything. And, you know, like we mentioned before, you get a fire in that type of environment, it's already dry, they're already in a little bit of a drought, um, grasses are dead, and you get a fire with that type of wind, there's very little um, offensive actions that firefighters can even mount at that point. It's really a defensive situation and trying to move people as much as you can out of the way of the fire. There, there's very little that can, that can actually stop it at that point. Especially in an urban area. Yeah. So you, you, you can't get the resources out of front of it. You can't you can't clear a fire break. Um, I mean, there's there's nothing. There's really not much they could have done once that got once that got going. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a you know, this is similar to what Southern California deals with, with the Santa Ana winds, what they call it in San Francisco area. I think it's El Diablo. You know, so they, there's there's terminology. The locals in Hawaii probably have terminology for these downslope winds events. Uh, they do happen. They're they're not as rare as as we might think because we don't experience them. But you live there, they get they get these things. Um, but when you just add in the other elements um, between the non-native grasses, mm -hmm. the amount of dry kind of drought they had been in, um, you know, you've got you've got electrical power going to areas that used to not have electrical power, and and all those lines of power lines that can arc. Um, you know, it it was it was bound to happen somewhere. Um, it's just, it's unfortunate, it's kind of so unfortunate this happened to be in an urban area uh, because, you know, the, it's not like it's a heavily urbanized island. Um, you know, it could have happened. 12,000 12, people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, you know, to go right into uh, to, to, to the city like this was so, so, so sad and so unfortunate. Because uh, once again, I think you found a lot of folks that were in a little bit of deer in the headlights, a little bit of disbelief. Like this doesn't happen here. I, you know, they they weren't really sure what to do. They weren't really sure what was happening. Um, it's it's you know, it's not like someone yells fire. You see the fire and you just run. You know, it, it was wasn't like that. I think a lot of people just it was just black. It was just black smoke. Uh, they, you know, um, and this you know people also don't understand. And 
the, the fire doesn't, it doesn't start as like a, a continual wall of flame and just roar down. Uh, so you, it, it jumps, it spurts, uh, it's sending embers and ashes downstream. So you have fire, like it's almost like little bunches of fires. And then the embers hit this building and all of a sudden this building goes up two or three blocks down. And then the same thing happens with this one. So it, 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 it doesn't move like people would think it would, like it's some sort of linked chain of flame that comes down to the water in this case. It wasn't like that. I've seen stuff on, you know, uh, social media about how certain umbrellas didn't burn and certain trees didn't burn. And so this was couldn't have been a, a fire. And I'm like, well, it just doesn't work that way. Um, it just it hit this car and that car went up It hit this house and this house went up. Um, and that that's just that's the nature of wildfire. And I think most people don't don't really understand that. And when you have that much wind all that black smoke is going to be way out ahead of the flames. The flames are going to be way back there. You're not going to necessarily see it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just, it's a very horrific, very terrifying and, and uh, thing that happened. Um, and, you know, like all disasters, we're going to learn from it. Uh, they'll learn from it and, and they'll share those lessons around elsewhere. Yeah. You know, one of the things that in this particular instance, that was really hard in the situation is that the, the fire, developed or started just outside the city so it, it's not like you you saw it for six or eight hours you saw the smoke um, this is that what we call the urban wildland interface and if you get fire in that where you have you know it burns quickly into an urban area um, this is the type of situation you get and you have very very little time to react to it um, versus if you saw a fire coming you know down the the side of a mountain and you had you know a day or 12 hours to see it coming, you can put more measures in place to get people out of there. And that that's just not the case in this situation. The fire developed practically right on the edge of town and then burned quickly into the town with the, with those strong winds. And so, you know, that, that's, that's, and that, that's anywhere, you know, that's, that's Austin, Texas right now. Yeah. That, that's San Antonio, Texas right now, where, where you have subdivisions and buildings that are out in the edge of town against that wildland area. And if you get a fire out there, it can burn up to those structures very fast. You know, it, it could be a 30 minutes or an hour and you have fire in your backyard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, the first bit of news I got on this was on Twitter and I couldn't believe the first thing I read was people are jumping into the ocean. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I've been to Maui and it's, uh, and yeah, all the, the population is concentrated in, in a small area. In fact, um, I read where Mick Fleetwood, the drummer for Fleetwood Mac, he has a restaurant there. And unfortunately he lost his restaurant. I've actually eaten there and that's a very populated area. And so that, that's another thing that kind of hit home for me is like, man, this is really hit the worst part of Maui, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's like, you know, complete flip from a uh, wildfire. It's what happened with Ian and Fort Myers beach, you know, it was, never this stuff never happened here and all these developments all these places i used to eat at and these restaurants and bars i would go to yeah they're they're all gone just like that yeah yeah well it's gonna obviously take weeks months years for this uh for them to recover and and do an investigation to figure out how to prevent something like this from happening again so uh wish those folks well and and a speedy recovery um, today is August 18th, as we, as we said, and it is the 40th anniversary of Hurricane Alicia. Um, the last major storm 
to, to strike uh, Houston, I guess. So um, where uh, major as defined as a category three or greater at landfall, by the way. Yeah. Right, right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, where was everybody during Alicia? I know. I was sleeping in a crib. I know Jeff was sleeping in a crib. I was two years old, so I don't, I don't really have a lot to add to this one. As far as personal experience? Yeah, I don't have to. You were in a good spot. Apparently, the, a tree fell and, and hit the house, and I was almost you know, taken out. Could have been taken oh. out. Could have been taken out early. Well, that's something. Um, but besides that, yeah, I slept through the whole thing. All right. Well, yeah, like my dad. My dad slept through the whole thing, too. <laughs> Like, yeah, I was 20 years old. I was, you know, a weather uh, nerd at the time then too. And I was going crazy over this thing, but uh, it was scary, man. Uh, you know, it was a nighttime. The, the heaviest winds we got in Spring Branch, you know, was in the middle of the night when you couldn't see. And that was pretty freaky. And what I thought was green lightning uh, later, you know, learned that they were transformers blowing out. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, Evans, what about you? What uh, What is your... Well, I, I grew up in Southwest Oklahoma, so I was, yeah. I was I was 14 years old when this uh, made landfall. And I so for me, I, I do remember Alicia because of the rain. It brought a lot of heavy rain up in Oklahoma. Uh, there was a lot of flash flooding in central Oklahoma. And I think some of the University of Oklahoma buildings had some flood damage uh, from Alicia. You know, so it it had impacts, you know, way inland, uh, which which is pretty typical. It was a small storm, but a pretty fast moving storm, um, which. You know, they can carry carry its uh, carry its anger with it quite a ways. Yeah, um, I think ten to twelve inches is what most or uh, a lot of areas saw. Ten to twelve inches of rain, yeah, which yeah. is not is not. That was a. That was a yeah. That was kind of on the high end. Most areas didn't even yeah. get that much. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. spectacular on the rain and, and storm surge was. Oh, 10 to 10 to 12 feet in the bay. So Seabrook, I think, was 12 feet and uh, over in Baytown, like 11 feet in Brownwood subdivision um, flooded and land subsidence and all kinds of things over there. And that was that was the end of that. That was into that subdivision uh, buyout, removed all the homes from it. They they'd had issues well before Alicia. Um, but, you know, that fast forward motion brings those strong winds in. And I think for those of you that went through Alicia and remember it, we're here it's the wind damage it's the tree it's, limbs and the power outages and the glass and the buildings downtown and all that kind of stuff of course that was a lot of that was aggregate on the top of the buildings um that was blown off the top into the nearby windows and a lot of that's been remedied we, we didn't see that when we had ike come through um but just just a lot of tree damage um with alicia that took a long time to get cleaned up yeah yeah, we, it, it's been 40 years since the Houston Metro has been tested by what you would call a windstorm. You know, you know, I, I can 15 years ago and 15th anniversary for Ike, you know, it, it brought, you know, category one type of winds, uh, which which still caused quite a bit of damage, a lot of power outages. Uh, but nothing like the Ike's winds were nothing like Alicia. And, um, you know, Alicia going up on the west end of Houston brought that kind of dirty east side with all the strong winds across most of the Houston metropolitan area, where Ike kind of a lot of areas were on the back side of it, so that especially the western parts of the the, the city, uh, the metropolitan area didn't get as much damage uh, as you did near near the bay. Yeah, I, I remember going around looking at the damage afterward. In fact, uh, a friend of mine and I, he he had a um, 
well, back then there were three wheelers. <laughs> they don't make them anymore because they're pretty dangerous, but we actually assisted a couple of cars, you know, help pull them out of some uh, water in an intersection that typically floods. But the eye popping thing for me was to see this, this tree, this pine tree, I don't know, maybe four feet in diameter or something or more just fell and completely cut this home in half. And fortunately, nobody was home, but, you know, I've seen pictures, lots of pictures of that. We all have now with social media since then. But to actually see that in person, that was crazy. That was yeah, crazy. And, and I think I think people will be surprised, uh, first of all, how much uh, even these really large trees, how much damage they'll be. Even in 1983, the newspapers called it substantial tree damage all across the Houston area. But the other thing that's going to surprise people is going to be how far inland uh, you're still going to get those 100 mile an hour winds sustained with higher gusts. And, uh, you know, for, you know, Hurricane Michael, which was a category five in 2018 in the panhandle, you know, all the way into Georgia, uh, it was like a lawnmower had, had gone through. I mean, just trees just down 30, 40 mile swath, you know, from the coast all the way into Georgia. So, you know, that's pretty much the entire uh, stretch in, in, into uh, parts of Northwest Houston for Alicia uh, would have just, significant damage to trees, roofs, um, you know, uh, kind of peripheral damage to buildings, uh, vehicles and things of that nature. So um, that, that, that's a big concern, certainly, with it, especially the amount of development we've done and the amount of trees we have. Um, it's it's going to be a it's going to hit us hard the next time it happens. Yeah, I, I think Rita caused a lot of uh, tree damage in, in East Texas. I remember right. Yeah, so, yeah, we had know. a we had a lot of wind damage from Rita in East Texas, and even Laura back in 2020 mm -hmm. uh, up the yeah. Sabine River Valley. Mm -hmm. And you know, the fact is, folks, that once you get 60 mile an hour winds, you know the trees the trees are going to start getting having damage. You know, you're going to start getting tree limbs down, especially in the pines. The pines a softer type of wood. It doesn't take a lot to break limbs off of trees, and and you know you start getting 80, 90, 100. You're, you're popping trees in half, you're breaking them in half, you're pulling them up out of the ground, uprooting them. And one or two trees into a, into a home can just completely ruin that house. I mean, it, it can crush it to pieces. Uh, we saw a lot of that in East Texas with Rita, just pine after pine after pine coming down and, and hitting homes and, and just destroying them completely. And so you, you got to be careful, you know, you got to understand that, you know, this is the time of year if you, you know, and we're all struggling right now with the drought and trees are stressed and limbs are turning brown and, and all that. If you, if you notice your trees are struggling, if you know you have some rotten stuff, some rotten limbs or a tree that's not in the best shape, now's a good time to get it taken care of and removed because the chances are you get a, you get a, a strong wind, it's going to, it's going to have some problems and it doesn't have to be a hurricane. You know, we saw 80, 90 mile an hour winds a few weeks ago in June in northern Harris County and, and just look at look at what that did. You know, that was tree damage and power outages and all that kind of stuff. And um, we can have that. And, you know, that kind of gives you an idea on a real small scale of what we're going to be facing when we're when we're going to deal with with this with a strong storm. So, yeah. yeah and, in, and the hurricane, too, is it doesn't come and go. So you're talking about hours being under those winds. So, you know, over time you put, that's a lot of stress to put on some trees, put them in a 60 to 80 mile an hour sustained with higher gusts for three to four hours. Um, you know, they're going to, eventually they're going to give. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, you think about, you know, severe thunderstorm warning criteria is over 58 and the right. damage that that can 
that we've all seen a severe thunderstorm do within just a few seconds. And yeah, that's instantaneous wind. You know? Right, right. Yeah. So to Evan's point, you know, you sustain that over hours and hours. It's, uh, you know, it's going to take the weaker stuff out pretty quick, but um, some of the stronger stuff will, will go too. And um, I talked a lot, you know, in, in all of the hurricane prep stuff about pruning trees. That's, I think that's really important to, to keep up, you know, well, it's healthier for your, for your trees, number one, but the less objects the wind can grab, the greater chance it has of uh, sustaining through the storm. But, um, so the eye of this thing, this is also the only time I've ever been in, into the eye of the storm. It made landfall around San Luis Pass. And uh, actually the eye went over um, National Weather Service office there in Alvin. And then uh, kind of on the west side of downtown and came over us at Spring Ranch. It wasn't, you know, you hear the, the stories of being in an eye and the clear blue sky and maybe even seagulls flying around it. It wasn't that at all. It was the wind died down. That was about it. I mean, it stayed cloudy. So to me, by the time it got inland, it was a pretty disorganized eye. And then when the backside of it came, we got the high winds again. It wasn't as strong and, and it was very short lived. So 40 years ago, you know, um, about, uh, I would say late morning, we were pretty much done with everything. So the weather, the weather, the National Weather Service in, in Houston Galveston has put together a really nice, um, I guess they call it a story map uh, that goes into a lot of detail. So uh, Jeff Evans, is, is this somewhere, if you go to your webpage, is it, is it going to be at the top? right now or yeah it'll be at the top if it's not already uh, so people can link on that uh, weather.gov uh, slash houston well i will take you to our weather page and it's really interesting um uh, cameron self one of our meteorologists put a lot of time into this got a lot of imagery and some, built some different loops and um it's a very comprehensive uh, look and dive into into alicia so anyone that's interested in our local weather history uh you know take a look it's it's a it's a fascinating storm um, and, uh, you know, it, it certainly resonates with a lot of, uh, residents that, that, that lived through it. Um, uh, but unfortunately, or fortunately, we have a lot of folks who haven't experienced a hurricane, uh, that either have moved in since Alicia or, or whatnot, uh, millions and millions of people who have not uh, experienced it. So it'd be interesting to take a look and then try to wrap your mind around, uh, what, what everybody lived through here in, uh, in kind of August 18th of 1983. Yeah. And um, to what you said earlier, I think that's a really good point about people that are, are new to the area certainly need to pay attention, but also those that have been around for a long time that, you know, well, I survived Alicia and I can survive this next one and that kind of thing. No, every storm's like a thumbprint. They're all different. Every storm's different. You got to, you got to focus on the impacts of the next storm we face and not what happened with whatever storm in the past. And, and just, you know, this time of year, you could, there's almost every day is an anniversary. Sometimes it's multiple anniversaries on the day. Yesterday, August 17th, was the anniversary of the 1915 uh, Galveston hurricane. Mm. So that was the first major hurricane to make landfall uh, after the 1900 storm. So the seawall had been built. And then in 1915, uh, that storm made landfall. I think it was a Category 4, if I'm not it mistaken. It was a 4. It yeah, was similar yeah. to the 1900, so it, it was quite a contrast um, in, 15, in over a 15-year period to have two Cat 4s, one kill 8,000 people or so, and one kill like six. <laughs> so, yeah. um, 
I mean, big difference with the seawall. Um, you know, that, that type of stuff worked. And, and yesterday yeah. was also the anniversary of Hurricane Camille mm-hmm. um, in 1969 yeah. on the Mississippi coast. So up until Katrina, uh, Camille held the um, record for storm surge in the United States. And then, of course, Katrina uh, surpassed that. But uh, that was a very devastating and deadly hurricane for the Mississippi coast. And, and unfortunately, uh, Camille killed a lot of people in Katrina because yes. people thought, well, that house survived Camille. That's the standard. I'm going to go to that house. And that house didn't survive. And so people died thinking that somehow, since that was a Camille proof home, that that would be a Katrina proof home. And that, that's, that goes to our point that every storm is different. Don't look at it like, well, I did well in this storm. We're going to deal with that with a flood again around here with people. Who, if I didn't flood with Harvey, I'm never going to flood. Well, doesn't quite work that way. No. Yeah. Um, just because you didn't flood in Harvey doesn't mean you're not going to flood in the next one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been to Biloxi and uh, sadly, a lot of empty foundations there close to the coast, uh, you know, thanks to Katrina. But um, yeah, all, all very good points. Don't uh, rely on the past of the history to, to uh, make decisions going into the future. So gotta... that being said, it's interesting to look at, your, at our history. And, and to know about these storms, because uh, it, it helps you assess your risk. And, and everybody needs to have an honest assessment of, of where they live and what risks they are. Uh, we all love it down here. That's why we live in, in the areas we do here on the coast of Texas. Uh, but one of our risks is, is legitimate and, and it is hurricane. We are going into the peak of the season. Um, so we we all uh, all need to be aware. And looking back at these past storms, hopefully we'll uh, keep it in the forefront of people's consciousness. I know we're getting kids back to school. Uh, people are doing fantasy football drafts and all these other things, and, and they're buying stuff for fall. Uh, we're, but we're not through yet. We're not through hurricane season yet. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a kit, you don't have a plan, there's still time. Go out this week and get that done. Uh, get, yourself, uh, get yourself ready uh, in case uh, you know, another Alicia happens. Because people don't realize, even with Alicia, there was like 60 hours of notice. You know, this wasn't a storm that you had a lot of time. So this storm formed off the coast of Louisiana and just within a day or so was a hurricane. And within a d- 24 hours became a major hurricane, just with the snap of a finger right as before it made landfall. Uh, so, you know, we as a meteorologist, meter as, as a profession, you know, we're going to, we do our best, but these things can form pretty quickly. And it's, it's something we really have to be aware of. Uh, and people need to realize you may not have a lot of time or notice uh, so get your stuff together now. Get your plans. Occurred during an El Nino year where, you know, we didn't have a lot of storms. And, and Alicia, obviously, uh, forming later on in the hurricane season. Um, but as we say many times, it doesn't matter the quantity. It's just the one that's coming toward you is the yep. one that matters. Yep, that's the that's kind of the drawback of those seasonal forecasts is, you know, you can have a, a, a big season with a lot of storms and you're perfectly fine. 2020 right here in Texas, we had, you know, a bunch of storms, 28 named storms, but Texas is relatively fine. Or you can have something like this, uh, 1983, four storms and, and one hits you and that uh, makes it a bad year for you. So, you know, you hear that all the time. We say that all the time. It only takes one and all that type of stuff. And, and you really do. You have to you have to prepare every year. You have to be ready every year. Um, there's also, there's also this, this kind of thinking that, oh, well, I, we were hit last year or whatever. We can't get hit again. 
Um, well, back in 1886, the state of Texas was hit four times. Four hurricanes made landfall in the state in 1886. Imagine that today. Well, we're going back Louisiana again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, going back to what you said earlier, we're we're 40 years now since the Houston area has been had been hit by Category Three or greater storm at landfall. 40 years in 1990 and 1915, 15 years apart, there were two Cat Fours that hit Galveston Island. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. So I've been clicking through um, the link that that you guys put together as we've been talking here, and uh, yeah, I, I haven't read all through it yet, but uh, very not very well done, just the, the graphics and everything. So I look forward to reading through all this. And, and uh, as Mr. Evans said, this is on the uh, NWS website, so go check it out. The 40th anniversary of Alicia. So a very important question was asked at the beginning of the podcast. You know, how long is this podcast going to be? And I think my answer was, well, when I get hungry. <laughs> so, you know, not to make it all about me, but I'm hungry. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts? Not, Not really. Like, just yeah. go ahead, Jeff. No, it's <laughs> just you know, it's more the same here until, until you know, if 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 everybody I guess crosses their fingers and toes enough, maybe maybe we'll have a shot at a twenty percent chance of rain next week, uh, which is better than zero and no clouds. I mean, because this week we haven't even really had clouds in the sky, so hopefully we can get some moisture in here to alleviate uh, a the heat, and and b some of the dryness. Yeah, be careful out there. It's it's hot, as you know, everyone knows. But uh, uh, there's still uh, heat illnesses happening and people coming in. So you know, respect the heat. Uh, you know, stay hydrated and respect the uh, the burn bans. Please respect the burn bans across the state. Absolutely. Well, guys, enjoyed it. Thank you, Jeff Evans, for joining. Hope to see you more. Uh, yeah. Hope to see you more too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right, guys. Have a good one. Until next time. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah.